Welcome to the Teaching Value and Healthcare Learning Network. Join us to hear leaders in the field share practical and tangible advice about how to teach and deliver high value care. With national concerns about rising healthcare costs, as well as overuse and misuse of medical care, Costs of Care in partnership with the ABIM Foundation hosts an open forum to discuss ways to initiate, implement, and sustain feasible innovations in value at your institutions. I am Reshma Gupta, the Director of Evaluation and Outreach at Cost of Care, and I'll be moderating today's webinar. We are honored to have today Dr. Michael Parchman, who is a Senior Investigator at the McCall Center for Healthcare Innovation at Kaiser Permanente Washington Health Research Institute. He recently led their initiative on taking action in overuse. Michael, thank you so much for coming today. You wear many hats and our audience really focuses on implementing much of this work and messaging with frontline clinicians about how to improve healthcare value and reducing overuse. Can you take a moment to describe uh, the program that you helped develop and initiate in overuse? Sure. Thanks, Rashma. It's great to be here with you today, and thanks for inviting me um, to participate. Um, this really began three years ago when the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation approached us and said, you know, we don't know much about how you engage providers in doing this work of uh, relinquishing low-value care services. Can you help us understand um, how we might support providers and their organizations in dealing with overuse. And so for the last three years, we worked at uh, identifying exemplar organizations across the countries who were doing this work and studying what they did. And then out of that, we built a framework we call the Taking Action on Overuse Framework um, that describes sort of the key activities and domains that an organization should pay attention to if they're trying to engage providers, patients, and team members in overuse reduction. Um, <clears throat> we really feel like the, the engagement piece is sort of the missing piece of the puzzle uh, for this. And then over the last two years, we've used this framework to partner with three different healthcare organizations um, to use that as a roadmap or a guide in their efforts to address an overuse area. Um, and, and have learned a lot from, from working with these organizations um, and watching their experiences. That's great. Can you describe specifically with these three institutions specifically that you really mm -hmm. engaged with in coaching them, um, what part of the health system were they work, you know, working within and, and what topics were they really trying to address? Yeah, so the, <clears throat> the three organizations, um, and you can find them uh, in a description of this on our takingactiononoveruse.org website, um, were the Missouri Primary Care Association. They were working with safety net community health centers in addressing opioid overprescribing. Um, the uh, UCLA Medical Center um, and medical group practice um, that were addressing um, uh, overuse of uh, GI uh, endoscopy, uh, both upper and lower GI endoscopy uh, in their setting. And then um, our, the, the Swedish hospital um, and healthcare system here in Seattle, Washington, which is trying to address overuse of the emergency department, um, high utilization and high utilizers, utilizers in the ED and address overuse. So there were very different um, organizations that each had a different topic um, they were trying to address that really um, required them to take some unique approaches to this. 
um, we were we purposely chose them because we wanted a diverse group and we wanted to see what was similar and what was different across these three settings as they tried to get their hands around how do we address overuse or unnecessary services that are being delivered in our setting. And one of the things that I think is really commonly discussed in, in this webinar series is, is that issue, knowing that many of us are implementing this work, is facing culture, the buy-in and the engagement related to this work. And so I'm really interested to hear, you know, how those were similar and how those might have been different between these different groups because we have a group yeah. in ambulatory medicine, one working in specialty medicine, and then another one really looking at a large facility based over use of ER um, usage. And so different folks need to be engaged across the board there. Right, right. Yeah, there were some real similarities um, and some real differences. I think similar similarities across the three organizations um, is. Number one, um, it required more resources than any of them had planned on um, to, to get their hands around how much overuse was occurring in their setting. Um, uh, it took longer. Um, it took a more deep dive into their data to figure out how much overuse was occurring in their settings um, and to identify the drivers of that overuse. Um, so it was different than a traditional QI process in that way. Um, it took longer than they expected in every single setting. Ad addressing overuse takes longer than a traditional QI initiative usually does. Um, secondly, um, every setting um, realized the importance of patient harm um, as a important component, a critical component, of their effort to engage providers in this conversation um, and talking about patient harm or potential patient harm. Um, and they all realized that data was not enough. They needed to have stories. And this wasn't just physical harm. This was financial, emotional harm and physical harm that results from unnecessary care services because otherwise they could not get people to the table to talk about this topic um, in their setting. So, so having patient stories and having um, those available to, to stimulate and to engage people and having these conversations was, was critical across all three settings. Um, and addressing the human factor side of this was mm -hmm. real similar across the three settings um, because we're talking about behavior change and it's a complex social mm -hmm. process to change the behavior of providers, teams, and patients in thinking about overuse. Um, and ignoring the human side of this, of asking people to relinquish something or asking people to do nothing uh, in some cases um, is really critical. And it was really hard to get people to the table to talk about it in all three settings. Yeah, so very similar kinds of barriers in a sense that, that the sites were facing. Um, right. and, I, and I really appreciate the fact of dif differentiating how this is different than a traditional QI quality improvement initiative because there is so much startup required it sounds like that these sites were, were facing that we, yeah. we as well um, a couple things Can I add we, one more point yeah absolutely one more point which was you know the the people that we we worked with the, the overuse reduction teams in these settings didn't have a good home base for this work either in these organizations. This was not traditional QI. This was not traditional patient safety work. Um, and they felt in limbo 
um, kind of in between those two areas about where does this reside within mm -hmm. our healthcare organization in terms of doing this work of reducing unnecessary mm -hmm. care? Is it patient safety? Is it QI? Does it does it occupy an in-between land, an interstitial space where nobody's doing this work, and where should it reside? And I think that's an unresolved issue. That's a really, really good point, too, because I think it probably ties to some of the resource issues. I wouldn't be surprised without that's having right. that infrastructure or that sponsorship with the clear delineation. Sometimes it, it creates barriers or time to get data and those types of things. That's correct. And it requires, requires leadership at every level of the organization mm -hmm. to keep talking about this and messaging this and saying how important this is. And all three settings, so another common factor is all three settings had turnover in leadership during the time we were engaged with them, uh, which was only about 18 to 24 months at the most. But <clears throat> that significant turnover in leadership really really set them back, all three of them, um, in trying to do this work. And they were constantly having to go back and restart mm -hmm. efforts to engage new leadership and get new buy-in to address this issue, which really impaired or slowed down their efforts. That's a, you know, one, one thing that some of the work that we've done is create um, a survey that actually looks at high value care culture. And what we found is the greatest domain that drives most of that culture are items related to leadership, leadership engagement, messaging with leadership, infrastructure provided by leadership, visibility. So, I mean, that really, really hits home and makes a lot of sense. One thing that you brought up that I think is really interesting is the human factors and how this relates to that. Because again, it's about you know, I think across the country, you know, there are so many changes that we're seeing with leadership probably in nearly every institution. And as we're implementing this work, it probably is an area that, you know, has to be planned for in advance that some of that leadership sponsor may change over the course of the, the study or the initiative. Um, what did, what did practices or kind of what did some of these sites learn um, you know, from their experiences or what could they have done better in terms of that engagement process or the messaging with these different key stakeholders and leaders in, in organizations? Um, <clears throat> so um, one of the things that they learned is, <clears throat> um, like I said before, um, <clears throat> bringing up the issue of patient harm, <clears throat> sorry, the potential for patient harm is central to the work and engagement. But the flip side of that coin is that makes this work emotional work um, because then what you're doing is you're you're talking to providers and teams about uh, a a service they've delivered or something that they've done that might have harmed a patient in the past and that's difficult psychologically for people to 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 deal with and it requires that you sort of cocoon the providers and the team and make it safe and create some psychological safety for people to talk about this issue. That's why people are reluctant to have these conversations because you're not going to change their behaviors without having these conversations because it requires changing the culture of how medicine is practiced in these settings. So if you're, if you're going to change the culture, you need the conversations. But you can't have the conversations if people are resistant to them because they don't want to go there thinking that they may have harmed a patient because some area of overuse they've done. Especially this, this, this moral disengagement, which is I'm not responsible for the immediate consequence of the test I'm, I'm ordered. I'm only responsible for the immediate consequences. 
not the 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 domino effect of mm -hmm. a test I order a treatment I gave, which is that as a result of this test or treatment, several steps down the pathway, something bad happened to the patient. Well, that's not my responsibility. Mm -hmm. So there's a moral disengagement piece here that also has to be addressed mm -hmm. in having these conversations about overuse and getting that engagement to happen with providers and patients. And we heard those stories too um, from, from the sites that we worked with and how hard it is uh, to do that. Um, so that's, that, that was interesting. I, I would add that, that um, I would add that that data has to be credible and transparent, but it doesn't have to be perfect mm -hmm. to start these conversations. And in some settings, they were very reluctant to even start the conversation until their level of confidence in having the data be perfect was so high that it delayed them by months and months and months and months in mm -hmm. having any conversation about the potential for harm from an overused service because they were so afraid of pushback from providers and staff about, oh, well, that data is not credible. It's not right. It's not us. Overuse doesn't happen in our department. It happens elsewhere, but not here. Um, and that's, that's problematic um, for many of these organizations to, to do that. And, and, and they emphasize that, that, you know, these conversations should be happening even if the data is not perfect. Um, because you can bring stories to the table as well. So native, no data without stories and no stories without data. Yeah, I love that. It's a it's the um, story of data paralysis, right, that many of us get right. into um, right. across the board. And so there's so much low-hanging fruit sometimes where there's opportunities that it is about, you know, sometimes just getting started and being willing to make the mistake to yeah. then say, hey, we're iterating and we can, we can change this over time. And I love that idea, too, about the fact that the, these are conversations that need that psychological space to say that, hey, we may not have been doing things exactly the perfect way in the past, but it's okay in terms of moving forward. One other, mm -hmm. thing, one other thing I think that you bring up, which is very interesting, is about that messaging and how, how um, there's a cognitive dissonance with that for folks, not only just a, a place of psychological safety, but also, you know, if we're saying overuse to reduce um, colonoscopies, for example, that is going to potentially have some negative outcomes that are unexpected um, from that. And, and I'm wondering if you could share a little bit from not only the sites that the three sites in this program, but from some of your work even before, um, where, where you've seen some of those negative consequences coming from uh, messaging on one area and one area only of overuse. Well, one of the things we, we see, we've seen and, and we've talked about with our partnership sites as well is, is unattended consequences are not uncommon if you're trying to reduce uh, an area of overuse. Um, so, for example, if you're trying to, uh, to reduce overuse in one area, say test ordering, um, be prepared for a compensatory response in another area. You might see referrals go up. So test ordering goes down, but referrals mm -hmm. go up. Um, so, so be prepared for that. Um, think ahead about where that 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 compensatory behavior might happen, and watch for it, uh, and even talk about it when you're may having these conversations about um, reducing a, an area of, of unnecessary care, and bring it up prospectively and say. And there's always the possibility that if we try to reduce um, uh, test ordering in this area, 
we might see you guys have a compensatory increase in referrals. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be watching for that as well. And we want to talk about that and talk about why does that happen and, and what can we do about that, right? Um, and, and make everything transparent. Make it a transparent conversation um, for that. So, so, so being prepared for that is, is also important. I think another area of concern that we don't quite have our hands around um, is whether efforts to decrease inappropriate services um, also has the unintended consequences of also reducing appropriate use mm-hmm. of some of those services. Um, because we've seen the inverse happen. We've seen where uh, people are performing really highly well mm-hmm. on, say, cancer screening and referral for colonoscopy. That may also be the settings in which you see the most in a, most frequent inappropriate use of that service. So it's kind of overshooting the mark. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so this becomes sort of a Goldilocks phenomenon of how do you, how do you hit the right sweet spot of appropriate versus inappropriate testing or lab ordering or, or, or whatever the, the area of overuse is that you're concerned about. There's so much fruit, I think, in what you just said there, because as, as many of our audience are, are educators or have that hat in translating these initiatives to clinicians and staff and nurses and others or, or residents in this field, it isn't about saying our goal yeah. is to reduce costs or our goal is to just reduce overuse in this one area. It's really to create these algorithms to understand in these situations, these are areas of when, when we're overusing. In these situations, this is an area where it's actually appropriate. And in these situations, it's actually of high value care to act to do these things to prevent further downstream, you know, later disease progression. And so that nuance of not just having one message is, is really great yeah. out there. I really like that. Yeah. 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 That, that's really important because what we're really talking about is, is making it possible to have this conversation about the culture of how we practice medicine in our setting. So the way we practice medicine in our setting is we, we make time and space to have these conversations about when is it appropriate and when is it not. When is it appropriate, when is it not. Let's talk about it. Let's constantly work at this. It's something we may never arrive at the perfect solution of, but as long as we're talking about it and saying this is the culture of how we're going to practice medicine in our setting, um, I think that's it's the journey that, that matters here for organizations. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming to speak with us today. I think there's so many great lessons learned that you've highlighted through today's discussion um, that I think really brings light to how to think about being prepared um, and thinking through about potential negative consequences or other factors as folks are implementing this type of work and with your experience across so many sites through this effort. So thank you so much for joining us today. You're so welcome. And if others want more information, uh, visit our website, takingactiononoveruse.org. We've got a lot of tools and resources there for people, thanks to the support from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. So thank you, Reshma. Great. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye.